Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with everyone's favorite earthquake truth teller, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all of the sponsors who've stepped up to support this podcast. You can too, and that provides support for my nonprofit Center for Science and Society. Please go to patreon.com and be a sponsor too. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. So now let's get to it. There's an interesting seismological phenomenon we want to talk about, and it's not one of our favorite misconceptions or myths, though it's generally not well understood, and that's earthquake swarms. That's when a lot of earthquakes happen in the same area without one of them clearly being the main shock. Right. So Lucy, tell us why you, as a seismologist, use this term swarm instead of cluster or some other description. Okay, well, an earthquake cluster is just any group of earthquakes that happen together. A main shock aftershock sequence is a type of cluster. Swarm is this particular type of cluster where there are several earthquakes that are all close to the largest size and often a bit of a time, a time difference. When, it, when a main shock aftershock happens, the main shock happens, lots of aftershocks dies off quickly with time. In a swarm, we'll get one earthquake, then another, then another, sort of gradually growing or maybe up a little and then down a little rather than a clear decay pattern. And we know that the standard rate of earthquakes is constant over some period of time. As you say, you need to have one 5.0 for every 10 fours, 100 threes, and 1,000 twos. Does a swarm change that constant number? Well, any group of earthquakes has that as a constant. When you take a subset like a swarm, Eventually within it, you'll have that overall relationship, especially among the smaller earthquakes. But like in a main shock aftershock, it might be one or even two units of magnitude between the main shock and the largest aftershock. Whereas here in a swarm, usually the first one isn't the largest one, and there might be a dozen that are within one unit of magnitude of that first main, you know, the, the largest one, or maybe even more than that. So the big picture that there's a lot more small ones than large ones stays the same, but this relationship around the largest earthquake is what's different. Where do swarms happen? Can they happen anywhere or are there specific locations that really produce this kind of swarm? They are usually a characteristic of the tectonics of a region. What are the existing fault systems? Because this idea that you have lots of earthquakes about the largest size, but none of them are really big. Remember that the length of the fault is what determines the magnitude of the earthquake. And what we think is going on with swarms is they're happening in places where there's a lot of smaller faults and not one big one. In California, that tends to be the areas with higher levels of volcanism and which you know breaks up the crust and makes for smaller ones. One of them's the Imperial Valley, the other's the area around Mammoth Lakes, where Mammoth Mountain, we need to remember, is an active volcano. And what does that mean for the larger non-broken up faults around it? Does it actually have any relationship to what happens in areas within 50 miles, 100 miles? It doesn't have an impact farther away. Remember, we've said that the ability of one earthquake to trigger another is controlled by the length of the fault that's moving in that first earthquake. So a swarm where you've got a magnitude 5 or 4.8 or something like that is the largest event. 
that's a fault that's only about a mile across and therefore can only affect the nearest few miles right around it. In that sense, it's just like any earthquake. One earthquake releases some amount of energy, and that's what controls how far away it can have an impact. And because the smaller earthquakes have so much less energy than larger ones, having 30 magnitude fours is the same energy release as having one magnitude five. And that magnitude five just doesn't affect a very large area. So the fact that it's coming in multiple events instead of in one event doesn't change the fact that what really matters is how much energy is released. And lots of small earthquakes just don't add that much energy to the picture. How do you react when you hear about a swarm? When you get notifications of a series of earthquakes that indicate a swarm, what's your reaction to that? Well, my first reaction is, oh, here we go again. Wonder what's coming next. Because the temporal pattern of these is different. If you go and have five magnitude threes, you've got a lot more chance of a, another, you know, a three and a half in the next hour or two than you would if there had just been one three and a half. So when you see that you're in that type of situation. Now, I have only faced that situation in places that tend to have the swarm. So I see uh, a half a dozen threes going on in the Imperial Valley. I go, oh boy, I bet you we have another three and a half or four pretty soon. But I don't worry about it triggering a six or a seven or an eight or something that would go and affect a larger area. If we actually, if we have one in Los Angeles, I suppose we might go, okay, what's next? Um, but the reality is, is we, we haven't seen one of those because Los Angeles Basin is just not one of the areas that tends to have these really energetic swarms. If someone is in an area where they just keep feeling earthquake after earthquake, small earthquake that makes them feel it, so they're in the area of the swarm, what should they do? They've got a bunch of threes coming at them, maybe a couple fours. How should they manage this ongoing shaking? Well, they need to recognize that right now, they're having a lot of earthquakes and that means they're having a lot of earthquakes and they will probably continue to be having the earthquakes. So if you've just felt a whole bunch of, of threes and a couple of fours, you can be pretty sure you're gonna have another four and you might have a magnitude five. And if you're right on top of a magnitude five, that can do some damage, but it's not gonna, you know, it's not gonna bring down a California house. So recognizing you've got a risk right then and doing some of the things like maybe you want to make sure you have some more water put by. And if you left something that's precious to you sitting out on a shelf, put it someplace safe so it doesn't get broken when it's thrown off the shelf. I think you can say I'm likely to be having more earthquakes, but you need to recognize you're not likely to be having a really large, really damaging earthquake. You know, there's sort of an impression that because swarms are different, they mean they're going to trigger a big earthquake. But while we have seen four shocks to a lot of big earthquakes, we've never seen a really energetic swarm uh, as, as a foreshock to a big earthquake because they tend to happen in different places. And if someone is watching a swarm at some distance, so if this is in the Imperial Valley, you know, in the most southern part of California, and you're maybe in Los Angeles, or even farther north of Northern California, what does that mean for you? How should you process that information of a swarm happening in the state, but not in your immediate area? It means somewhere else has got an issue, you don't. There is really no way that a swarm 100 miles away will be creating an earthquake that will be affecting you. So swarms happen, they happen in very specific locations, and you've really never seen them lead 
to something much bigger than what the swarm is producing at the moment that it's actually happening. That's true for, in general, that's like that. There is one exception, which is when an earthquake is very near the San Andreas. And sometimes those look like not the most energetic. We've never seen a really energetic swarm, but we have had several magnitude fours near the San Andreas. That has an increased risk just because it's near the San Andreas, not because it came as a swarm. Its ability to trigger is just the total amount of energy that's released. So the fact that it's a swarm doesn't mean different than any other earthquake. Exactly where it is, is it within a couple of miles of a really big fault? That's the one time it changes our assessment. There's always so much nuance and detail <laughs> to get into when we talk about the types of earthquakes, what we call them, and what they mean for us as we experience them in California, across the West, and around the world. We'll have to do this again and talk about another aspect of earthquakes. So until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>